Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go, right? There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. On NPR's new podcast, Wild Card, we have ripped up the typical script. It's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wildcard on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What up? I am Dramos, host of the Life as a Gringo podcast. This is a show for the Nosabo kids, the the 200 percenters. Here we celebrate your otherness and embrace living in the gray area. Every Tuesday, I'll be bringing you conversations around personal growth issues affecting the Latin community, and much more. Then, every Thursday, I'll be tackling trending stories and current events from our community. Listen to Life as a Gringo on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On February 19th, 2022, there was a mass shooting in Portland, Oregon. A right-wing extremist opened fire at people doing traffic support for a weekly racial justice march. Uh, He killed one person. He injured several others. One of the people who was injured, a young woman, is currently paralyzed from the neck down. Uh, Her friends and family are raising money, um, not for immediate survival stuff, for, for quality of life things, for things to, you know, allow her to enjoy herself out in the world with people, given the fact that she's dealt with something and is dealing with something uh, permanently life-changing. So I wanted to highlight that they're already above their initial goal, but obviously, you know, any anything we can give will help her and her family have a higher quality of life, and I think they deserve it. So go to GoFundMe, Portland Mass Shooting Paralyzed Survivor Fund. That's GoFundMe, Portland Mass Shooting, Paralyzed Survivor Fund. If you've got some extra cash, you know, the season being what it is, I get that everybody's got a lot of expenses coming up. But uh, if a few folks have some extra bucks, I know it'll be appreciated and it'll help her have uh, a warmer season this year. And she certainly deserves it. So again, GoFundMe, Portland Mass Shooting, Paralyzed Survivor Fund. Thank you. Ah, oh, God is dead, and you, Jamie Loftus, have killed him. I That's did it. Right. I finally her. did it. You did it. You did it. No, God was a him, and Jamie killed him. Hammer wow. to the back of the head. And and people are going to be critical of that, but you know, they are. you they don't are. know my story. Mm-hmm. And in my six-part miniseries, in which I'm played by Amanda Seyfried, I think wow. you're going to start to see my side of the story. And Courageous. I think I'm definitely not going to jail for what I did. That's good. Unlike... <laughs> Founder of oh, Theranos, Elizabeth Holmes. Yeah. 
who yeah. we just found out has been sentenced to 11.25 years in in prison. Um, I'm kind of I like. Yeah, I have mixed like I have mixed feelings because it's yeah. like people don't go. To, first of all, the prison industrial complex in general. No, it, it, it's, it, the, it, it doesn't make anyone better to the extent that there's value in the present day and putting people in prison. It's people who are like a severe ongoing danger. And right. I, I don't see this making anything better. Like at the no, same time, I hate her, so I don't. I'm not gonna. She's, she's horrible. It's not. It's not gonna I be d- the top injustice I I I rue today. I do kind of like that her. Uh, after being exposed as an unrepentant criminal, she's like, oh, I think I'm just gonna kind of be like a normie girl for a while and i'm gonna, I'm gonna go, gonna to go with my new and boyfriend. have a kid yeah and you're like liz it's too late it's yeah, too late you, for that liz you defrauded um, people with a fake medical device that led folks to see to get treatment for things they didn't have and ignore right. illnesses they did which is you bad got caught before too many bodies hit the floor but yeah that, that would have stopped you but you didn't um, really care you you applied steve no. jobs logic to something that was not just a silly box to keep in your pocket. Um, oh, Lizzie. Lizzie, you Lizzie. You know, <laughs> Lizzie, uh, Lizzie's fucked know. Again, is what we learned. Also Although, putting her in prison for, you know, probably nine years when you consider all of the other things is like not going to help anything. Uh, it'll just mean that that kid she has grows up without a mom for nine years. And that's not going to make the world the better. Thing. It's like. It's a huge moment for many things can be true at once and yes. us having to hold all of those truths and um, still record an episode of Behind the Bastards. I, can oh, I tell yeah. you about a legal <laughs> this case? Actually, about? This actually will be relevant to the episode, but yes, please, please. Wait, really? Yes. Okay, yes. this is definitely not going to be relevant, so let's, <laughs> let's okay. pivot. I was, a legal case I was thinking about today um, was the the Beanie Babies billionaire um, when he went was taken to court in 2013 for holding money in a Swiss bank account. Um, he, so it was like Wait, a tax evasion. that illegal? Oh, a tax evasion. Tax evasion charge. Um, So he was uh, up for as many as five years in prison for tax evasion. Uh Then he got off with, uh, I mean, he's a billionaire. He's never going to suffer a consequence, right? But like he uh, ended up getting a two years of probation on the ground that it had been too publicly humiliating. So he didn't have to get to go to jail because he was too embarrassed. It was so embarrassing that he didn't have to go to jail. What? That's absolutely fucking weird. Anyways, I'm going to I'm going to see how far this goes by committing murder and then having my pants fall down and like, (laughs) well, judge, look, (laughs) yes, I did stab that man 47 times. But then then everybody saw my underpants. Yeah, I peed myself. So I feel like that. that Yeah. Can we can we just zero this one out? (laughs) <laughs> man i love the beanie babies story so much i'm surrounded by my beans feeling safe wow that's uh, good you do yeah. literally have one on your shoulder right now yeah um, patty the platypus just, just just like i have this rifle next to me i think that we both have our comfort objects at the ready that's right, that's right. <laughs> um so jamie mm-hmm. speaking of Elizabeth Holmes, because the person we're talking about today is going to be the next story like that. Uh, By this time next year, there probably is going to be an HBO documentary about this guy. Oh, God. Uh, Maybe Taylor Taylor Kitsch could probably play him. 
um, actually, if he Get wanted to really Taylor like round that no, out. Taylor no. Kitsch played hot David Koresh in the Waco show. Oh, Jamie. I walked into that you one. Did. I'm so pissed. Yeah, they'd you. have to give him like a belly suit or something. That's not anti-fat. I'm just being accurate. Uh, but he could do it. Um, maybe that is, yeah. I don't want to see know. this man ever again. No, I'm mad. Taylor Kitsch? You don't want to see Taylor Kitsch again? No. You don't want to no. see those cum gutters I'm, again? I'm Unbelievable. Good. God damn it, Robert. I, there's God plenty of it. in this town, Robert. There's a million cum gutters. I don't need those. Oh, <laughs> uh, that that is true. But anyway, cum so runs through the street. Dude. That's, that 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 is that is true of Los Angeles and no other city. Today yeah. we are talking about a guy who absolutely never comes. Sam Bankman Freed. Why does Do you know he this come? guy? Do you know this guy? I don't know this guy. No. You don't know this guy. You don't You're know this guy. Have you have you <laughs> caught any news in the last week about how like a massive cryptocurrency exchange has collapsed, plummeting? I all did of hear the... about that. This is that guy. Oh, my. this is the guy okay. with his like polyamorous sex ring that was running a big crypto bank in the Bahamas and it all fell apart. And now billions of dollars are gone. You've lost me again. <laughs> oh, great. OK, well, well I'll, I'll try to. This is still breaking. Um, okay. I, we are, because this is a Thanksgiving week episode, we only do one episode on Thanksgivings. I needed a single one. So I just want to give everyone background oh. on this guy. We will, we may come back to this story because there's a lot we don't fully understand about how he did what he did and the degree All to which, right. but I hit the gist Google of this images. is that this Google guy, on this. this guy ran a trading service called Alameda Research and a crypto exchange. And an exchange is basically like a, a, a bank, right? It's a cross between a bank and like a trading platform called okay. FTX, which was one of the largest cryptocurrency exchanges in the world and was also considered by most people to be the most stable and like ethical and legitimate, right? People who okay. are just kind of on the outside looking in. When everything collapsed earlier this year, right? You remember? that we had oh, that big I mean, like no, crypto. I, I was uh, engaged in that it's just that i get a lot of my news yeah from journalists on twitter and they've been busy this week <laughs> yes so when, <laughs> when the when the when crypto like fell apart when a lot of crypto fell apart earlier this year and like a bunch of places went under ftx mm -hmm. was one of the ones that stayed stable and actually were buying up a bunch of like failing crypto companies to try to like prop up the industry they just collapsed and like the value of all everything has been plummeting for for the last several days it's a big disaster okay. it is very like yeah in 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 as in words that will annoy me as little as possible can you explain why fts remained solvent and other it is not didn't? solvent oh now no, why, like, why did it outlast oh them? because they lied um, oh, so okay. they were okay, they easy. were operating the sh the short end of how to describe it and and we may there will be more details to come but at present it seems fair to say that it was a giant Ponzi scheme where I they were see. they were they were taking in money promising unreasonable returns using other investor money to gamble on stuff to try to provide anyway and it worked Unlike while all the, other the crypto market guys, was they were they were um, dishonest yeah it is it is very likely what what, what differentiates this is the scale because this is okay. very likely a financial crime on the level of what bernie madoff did we are talking in the 10 to 20 billion dollars stolen um, Holy cow! Range. Okay. A lot of money. This is a serious financial crime. Okay. I'm going um, in on this pretty cold, yeah. so I'm, I'm, the, I'm listening. So, it, it, for the other, the other kind of mass, uh, um, like touchstone of this is that it has led to a class action lawsuit against Larry David, Shaquille O'Neal, Tom Brady, and a number of celebrities who were all in a a Super Bowl ad for FTX. 
Um, <gasps> I remember that ad. That yeah. was so embarrassing for my yeah. man Larry. And yeah, my man so the Shaquille. the. The lawsuit is basically I mean, saying advertise basically this was a high-dollar Ponzi scheme, <laughs> and you guys were using your name recognition to sell unregistered securities, which they were. <laughs> which they were. <laughs> which That's they so definitely were. Sorry, I just want to circle back to Shaquille. Shaquille O'Neal will put his name on anything to the mm-hmm. point where, to the it point where, it is very funny. I worked uh, at a haunted hayride this year, which we don't talk about because. It was a bad idea, but the rival. I told Sophie Hayri- that. What you told, I told us? Sophie you told her it was a bad idea. I told well, her guess it was what? A bad I'm alive, idea. bitch. Bitch, I lived. Yeah. I supported I lived, it. <laughs> I lived to tell the tale. It's very unclear who is right in the side of should I work at a haunted hayride or not. I still haven't really landed on an answer. Point being, our closest rival, haunted hayride wise, was Shacktoberfest. It was wow. Shack themed haunted attraction in which the only Shaq related thing was a gigantic inflatable Frankenstein that looked like Shaq, which did sound awesome. That but sounds actually like the best time anyone's ever had. I love Shaq um, will put his name on anything, including crypto and Halloween. He One sure of which I'm supportive of. What a, what a king. Um, mm-hmm. Probably not. I'm, I'm sure there's horrible things about Shaq that have come out. That seems almost unavoidable. Anyway, <laughs> Sam Bankman-Fried is the guy behind this gigantic financial crime that is still unraveling as we do this episode. And I mm-hmm. want to talk about less about what happened on the exchange, because none of us want to talk about how somebody carries out the nuts and bolts of a cryptocurrency scam. But I want to talk about I, I want to talk honest. about the social elements of the scam. I want to talk about okay. how he conned the media, how he conned celebrities, and how he conned regulators. Um, okay. And I, I just want to talk about also the way some of these people talked and wrote about him. Because there's a lot bef- about... I don't know, a week or so ago, we did an episode on The Daily Show We Do It Could Happen Here about ethical altruism, which mm-hmm. is, in brief, a theory that, like, the instead of trying to help people just because they need help, uh, you should only help people after you consider the way to help people that is, like, the absolute most beneficial way for, like, the least amount of, you know, effort. The, it's utilitarianism, right? What can, How can I do right. the greatest good with the, 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 the least resources with and the whatnot? the least amount of, yeah. And it's it's the way a lot of these like it, it, and it's merged with this kind of thinking towards what billionaire types call long termism. And the gist of this is like it, it, it's not worthwhile for me to do stuff like pay taxes to have a society or guarantee like universal health care. Instead, um, I should make instead the most ethical thing that I should do is make as much money as I personally can and then put that money into things that I believe will save the world, like research to stop AIs from killing everyone and getting to Mars and shit. It's or a way for billionaires. Or really fast yeah, trains. It's a way for billionaires and the other mega rich to justify like continuing to do exactly what they want and feel like they're saving the world. Anyway, Sam Bankman Freed. The guy from Beanie Baby, you know what the Beanie Babies billionaire did to improve the world? He made a lot of Beanie Babies? And then he bought the Four Seasons Hotel and kept making Beanie Babies. He didn't do shit. That's, well, you know, that's, I'm fine with that compared to these guys. Because they're all doing the Elon Musk thing where they're pretending. Anyway, Bank, 
Sam Bankman-Fried is one of these guys, and we're going to get into that, but we did this episode on It Could Happen Here, where he mm-hmm. was kind of a tangential character in this very unsettling and, and insidious movement that is behind guys like Elon Musk, who are claiming to be saving the world while just fucking over people. And yeah. then, like, four days after it came out, his entire life unraveled and his fortune disappeared overnight because he was a giant con artist. What a um, treat. It's very funny, so that's why we're talking about him right now. Yeah, he's, so, like, sa- he's like 30 years old and looks like Mark Zuckerberg and David Dobrik's love child. He's 30 yeah. years old? That's I what feel he great looks about like. myself right like now. He's a Mark Zuckerberg and David Dobrik's love child. Look, I shouldn't call anyone a schlub, but he looks like a schlub. Um, I forget what David Dobrik looked like because my brain protects myself. Respectfully, I understand. Two villains. Two villains love child. Yeah. Um, anyway, so... I, uh, yeah, Sam Bankman-Fried was born in 1992 on the campus of Stanford University, uh, mm-hmm. continuing a long and proud tradition of absolutely nothing good ever coming <laughs> from that hellhole. His parents are both extremely prominent Stanford professors. His mother, Barbara, is a lawyer who, clo- who clerked for the Second Circuit Court and graduated from Harvard. She founded Mind the Gap, a somewhat shady and mysterious Democratic fundraising group. I think it's shady in that people don't exactly know where all the money comes from or like, what their goals are. She also yeah, that pinned sounds an, shady. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She also pinned an essay in 2013 that the right wing is going nuts about because she was basically arguing that like it, good and evil are less a factor in in what people do than environmental factors and 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 all that stuff. Like when people do mm-hmm. things that are bad, it's more often a product of their environment. It was, it was kind of a um, oh god, what's that fucking psychologist uh it was like a skinner type argument where it's like well if people have bad inputs in their youth then that's going to determine anyway um i think that's funny given what happens um i i'm gonna guess she sucks at what she's she's she sucks uh and so does his dad joseph bankman okay uh joseph is also a lawyer he is a graduate from yale uh his big claim to fame was developing a proposal for an overhaul of the california tax return system that would have filled out citizens tax returns in advance and i know i just said he sucked but actually that sounds like a good thing um i think that that's actually a cool thing to advocate for the measure failed by one vote after heavy lobbying from intuit a tax prep prep software company vote no Um, shit yeah, it kind of is. It's it's total bullshit because stuff. It's the thing everybody agrees with on paper, but nobody will actually fight the tax prep companies. Which is like, hey, yeah. the IRS like knows more or less what I make and like knows more or less what I owe. Why don't I just get a thing from them? Why do I have to go through this? Like, anyway, there's no need. Uh, but it's like that's the only other countries do it that way. We don't though. And it's right. because, well, because there has to be a convoluted system that's expensive yeah. and where they can charge you if you make the tiniest mistake because you yeah. can't read size one well, font. Well, and more to the point, because I don't actually think the IRS is advocating to keep it a pain in the ass. I think it's these tax prep companies um, because they have an entire industry based on charging people to do the thing that they have to do to avoid going to fucking prison. Um, anyway, I, I, I said he's an asshole and I'm sure he is, but he was right about this and... I don't know what to say about that. Uh, like all of us, Joseph is also a podcaster. He is the host oh, of the co-host of the Stanford Legal Podcast. Oh, insufferable not... times too. And he's a nerd. If it wasn't no. the holiday season and I wasn't like getting ready for friends and family and all that that good stuff, I would have listened to his podcast and we would probably be making fun of him. But you can do that on your own. 
Oh um, my goodness. I believe Robert, in you. Isn't it, doesn't it feel so horrible when you think of how many people do what we do, but they're the worst person you've ever heard of. It's so sad. It's embarrassing. Yeah. It's, it's like, I don't know. I avoid self-identifying as a podcaster yeah. as it is. It's still yeah. not a system. <laughs> but then on top of that, they're like, oh, like what? Like what I mean, Joe you know, does? you know, the You're only, like, th- you know, the only no, thing that, that I can compare it to is like when I started making a living as a writer 15 years ago, and oh, I would Brad? say that okay. at like a, at like a, a, a party or something, someone asked like, well, what do you do? And I'm like, well, I'm a writer. And like four other people would say, yeah, me too. Uh, and then you wind up listening to everybody's pitches for their novels that they're never going to finish. Um, oh, it's, I mean, it's the and same so thing. And so eventually like, I just started lying and saying that I s- still worked at special ed. <laughs> well, I like, I mean, it's the same thing with like, if you say you're a comedian in a party, you're about oh, to have Oh God, no, never, never identify as a comedian like, in public. Oh, me too. Do you, and I've done one whole open mic and my uh-huh. joke was very offensive. And isn't yeah. it a comedian's job to push boundaries and be a, oh, tell yeah. me your joke. It's like, you know how no. Lenny Bruce let, read that, let, uh, read that list of curse words? Well, I just do that with slurs here. Let me show you. Yeah, you're like, yeah, like, Lane <laughs> Bruce was not funny in that period of his career, even a little. Anyways, anyways, our jobs I mean, are embarrassing, I, yeah. is what I'm saying. Anyway, it, it, our, our jobs are indeed embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, so as you might guess from all of that, Sam was born into what amounts to America's like liberal aristocracy. He is a fucking coastal elite, right? This kid grows up on the Stanford oh campus to Stanford professors. One of his aunts teaches at Columbia University is like a professor there. Oh, uh, he so has, he's like. He has close family connections to employees at Yale and at Harvard. Uh as well as Stanford, like his he's parents both go to Harvard, I think. He's it a is, little Kennedy. He is a, yeah, he's he's that. He is as, yeah. y- y- you do not get much more of a rarefied, like, intellectual air. He's wearing, he's wearing linens around. Yes. This is how I think about. <laughs> yes, this, this is a child who at age eight has strong opinions on Emmanuel Kant. Um, and which people, again, and people will of cheer mm-hmm. for him at the table no oh we're about to get into that jamie loftus oh, i just had a so, i just had a vision of a child sitting at like a holiday dinner and saying derivative and then someone <laughs> going oh that's amazing wow he is really coming along yeah. isn't he yeah this is okay. a little kid that when he like sits down at the doctor's office pulls out a fucking i don't know derita or something book just 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 <laughs> just so you know just so you know he knows fancy philosophers yeah god derita. damn it board book <laughs> mm-hmm. so his okay. parents and his raised him and his brother to be utilitarians uh one of the articles oh, about them i, I found was raised say to be that, into spongebob okay yeah I, yeah <laughs> i was i was raised to hassle cows in a our back 40 um his parents uh nights so this article notes that nights around the family dinner table often focused around debates about how to do the greatest good for the greatest number of people um mm-hmm. in later interviews with i'm, I'm going to get to this guy in a second the absolute dick writingest journalist to ever write dick sam would claim that his most formative moment came at age 12 when he was weighing arguments around the abortion debate so first off Hold no. On. <laughs> no. No. On point one. No. Because because not only no, also like in the context of like where would he have been doing this? I'm guessing where? it like around the family table or when they have the all you know, everybody's got their brandy and he's drinking some sort of fucking so he, tea that's insufferable and they're all talking about 
people's rights as no. if it's like a fun intellectual problem, like how to fix an because engine. Because for them it is, because where, yes. wherever they land, the rules aren't going to apply to them anyways. Yes, uh, yes. Where, where, does he, uh, where does he fall? Where does he fall in the debate? That's a great question. So I'm going to quote now from an article oh, previously no. published by Sequoia Capital and written okay. by Adam Fisher, who should never be allowed to lift this article down. When I say the dick writingist, like fucking PR flack journal, it's, un- it's, it's shameful. Quote, <laughs> A a rights-based theorist might argue that there aren't really any discontinuous differences as a fetus becomes a child, and thus fetus murder is essentially child murder. The utilitarian argument compares the consequences of each. The loss of an actual child's life, a life in which a great deal of parental and societal resources have been invested, is much more consequential than the loss of a potential life in utero. And thus, to a utilitarian, abortion looks more like birth control than like murder. SBF, that's what they always call him, the kid, Sam. SBF. F's application of utilitarianism helped him resolve some nagging doubts he had about the ethics of abortion. It made him feel comfortable being pro-choice, as his friends, family, and peers were. He saw the essential rightness of his philosophical faith. So that's very fucked up. That is, that is so deep, like... The term choice is used at the very end there, but it's clear that, like, he's not thinking about this in terms of, like, the actual value of human bodily autonomy. That does not weigh in the utilitarian calculus for him whatsoever. No, that is <laughs> to quote I would argue my friend Robert. Yeah. No, no, no. And again, even like, look, I, I, I shit reflexively sometimes on utilitarianism, not because of the inherent value or disvalue of thinking that way, but about the way it gets talked about by these people. But like, if you're actually a utilitarian and you care about the greatest good for the greatest number of people, then bodily autonomy should factor into that, right? Like human yes. bodily autonomy is should be hugely important to you. Yes. Um, but no, that's not logical. All that matters is like, well, how many, if you've resu- if, if less resources than this have been invested in the fetus, then it's not a person. So abortion makes, that's fucking bullshit logic. Fuck you. You're doing too much math. Stop. Yeah. This, isn't a ma- this isn't a math problem, Sam. Like this is not a fucking math problem. Not everything's a goddamn math problem. Robert, he won't listen to you unless you call him SBF. And I was like, fucking why is Robert Christ. talking about sunscreen? Mm-hmm. <laughs> SBF? Yeah, we'll get that. They all call him fucking SBF. And I hate it, but also as this went on, I started using it more and more because it's a pain in the ass to type his whole fucking last name out. All right. Um, I, look, I this is one where I'm not going to give him a pass, but I get it. If you write about this fucker a lot, it does make it easier. So <laughs> anyway, uh, all anyway. of this is very bad. Um, but you know what's not bad, Jamie? What? The products and services that support this podcast. No, that's not true. They are. That's well, <laughs> that might I've be checked. true. I've checked. Hold on. I just ran a quick check on that and you can't Jamie, guarantee Jamie, that even 1%. But, but, but what about the greatest good for the greatest number of people? And and given <laughs> oh, that wait. I'm I'm a people, so Sorry, it works Robert, out pretty right. well. You're it right, works out right, very right. well for me. I think that if you actually have more advertising mm-hmm. revenue, you will actually build a really fast train like you've been promising me you would. Yeah, yeah um, uh, I'm going to I'm going to build the Hyperloop. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and you've uh, been saying that. I'm going to promise you one thing. It's going to kill a hell of a lot more people than that Simpsons monorail did. And that, and, and I'm going to, and, and look, not everyone is going to hold you to task for that, but I am. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you for keeping me honest and ensuring that, uh, we, we, we really make a, a memorable disaster. Look, I'm available anytime. I'm not visiting my friend Liz in jail. Mm hmm. 
The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild minigames. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go, right? There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. On NPR's new podcast, Wild Card, we have ripped up the typical script. It's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wild Card on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, We are back. 
What a good time. So Sam Bankman-Fried is above all else a numbers guy. And I guess as a kid, he was a numbers kid. His parents sent him to Crystal Springs Uplands, uh, a fancy prep school in Hillsborough, California. I looked mm-hmm. through the website because I wanted to make fun of it, but it just kind of seems like a really fancy school. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure it's a great place to get an education. They make they put a lot of, I, I will tell this, they devote a lot of screen resources to letting you know that they are not racist and that most of their students aren't white. Um, they also have a French, they also have a French cinema class for sixth graders, which is fine, but the cranky asshole in me that still has a little piece of my soul raised by right-wing radio wants to say shit about it. I Um, was raised by, by left-wing people, and I still think that that's some loser shit, man. (laughs) I think that that's fucking dorky and goofy and, like, should, it's like, what... You know, you meet because you meet people like that in the wild and they're sometimes very and maybe even often very sweet people. But I'm like trying to be like, oh, you know who Plankton is? And they're like, no. And then but they've been watching French movies since they were like seven. And I just don't really respect that. If I meet a sixth grader with. Yeah. If I meet a sixth grader with strong opinions about French cinema, like. I'm just going to leave. I'm going to leave. I'm just going to walk away. Wow. Right, Robert, that's yeah. really brave of you to march out of a conversation with mm. an 11 year old. <laughs> I, I am not. I'm not putting up with that shit. Absolutely say, not. I'm leaving this sixth grade class. My <laughs> name is Robert get, Evans. And I think the fuck you're out of here. Doofuses. Fucking <laughs> go watch your what? Renoir. Is that one of them? That sounds like one of them. Cloud Renoir. Is he a painter or no, he make movies? Renoir is a painter. I know the one you're ah. looking for and I was looking for it too, but I don't remember. But guess who? Do you know who Plankton is? Of course you do. I know who Plankton is and I also know that at least one of the directors they study is a pedophile. Just knowing a little bit about French cinema. <laughs> that's that's unavoidable. <laughs> So uh-huh. Uh-huh. he does well. Again, the school's probably fine. He does well at the school. Um, he was notably in, insular. Uh, he avoided most of his classmates to play StarCraft, which is good, and League okay. of Legends, which objectively sucks. So, uh, he also played a lot of Magic the Gathering, so I am confident he did not get laid in high school. Um, this yeah. is, this no, is based I, uh, on extensive <laughs> personal experience. <laughs> We're like I just actually did some field research and <laughs> yeah, about four years of it. <laughs> um, okay, interesting. Yeah, for college he was accepted to and attended MIT, which marked out his family's elite North American University punch card. Um, they really hit them all now. Now that they've got an MIT kid in the they, family, they get a free coffee. Yeah. There used to be an MIT. So when I was doing comedy in Boston, there was like. MIT had like a secret comedy club that was just for MIT students and it was awful. Oh, I'll bet that's, oh God, yeah. They paid you okay, but it was like, they're like, if you like knew someone who like met someone who went to MIT and they came to your shows and they're like, Oh, we, we've, we did the math and you are allowed to come to our, they called it their speakeasy. I wonder if it's still around. It was so it was, I mean, it was not fun. Yeah. Not a fun crowd, uh, I, I will say. But uh, best of luck to, to to whatever was going on there. Yeah. So he goes to so MIT. He goes to he MIT. He might have been at one of those shows. We're around he, the same He might have because he joins a fraternity there. Uh, and an MIT, well, Jamie, it's a, an MIT-specific co-ed nerd fraternity. 
So oh, nice. It's what called could go wrong? Epsilon <laughs> Theta. Um, and okay. here's how Adam Fisher, the guy I hate, described them in his article, which was bad. Quote, a co-ed fraternity of super geeks similarly interested in magic and video games. Thetans are fond of debating math, physics, computer science, linguistics, philosophy, and logic problems for fun at alcohol-free parties. Now, I do know a little bit about MIT, and I know another thing these nerds often do is kill themselves using nitrous oxide because they will try to flood entire rooms with nitrous to do like a 20% nitrous to O2 ratio and What's kill themselves. All this, then? It's a thing that happens. Look it up. MIT What's nitrous all deaths. This, then? Yeah. Man, I, all I did in college was drink too many mm-hmm. blue moons. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's uh, it's it's quite a thing. Um, Yikes! So what I don't know. What are you doing over there? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how much I believe that that they were always alcohol and drug free parties, because well, if there's I one mean, thing the I MIT... know from nerds, it's that they do a shitload of drugs. I definitely didn't hear of this one because I went to a couple of MIT frat parties and they were um, not sober. Fun fact: one the one of the MIT frat parties I went to. Some, for some reason, when I was in college and when I would get really drunk, I would always want, I would like, I would, I would like to like steal things from wherever I was. Mm-hmm. And so I stole two critical pool balls from an MIT frat house and someone was able to trace it back to me and they demanded their pool balls back. Um, and I, I embarrassingly, I, I, I think I capitulated. I think I did give them back. I shouldn't. Wow. Have. Wow. Actually, so this one kid I'm finding in 99 died because he put a bag over his head to inhale nitrous, which is, fuck, man. How did you get into NIT, MIT? I don't know any. I, was like, I don't know, I don't know what, anything We shouldn't be making drugs. fun of this guy. Um, I don't know But don't put about, bags. Don't put bags over your head, kids. Um, uh, yeah. Fucking, I learned that in public school, no less. So many <laughs> other ways to do whippets than putting a plastic bag over your head. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Whatever. According next, according to the popular Sam Bankman Freed endorsed version of the story, he pivoted towards an almost obsessive devotion to ethics in his freshman year. He went vegan. He organized a protest against factory farming, and he okay. worried obsessively over how he could change the world for the better. And it was at this point that Sam met a man who was going to change his life forever. William McGaskill. Um, if you want to learn more about this guy, I do recommend the episode of It Could Happen Here on Effective Altruism. Um, this guy is today the the most the pop philosopher of effective altruism and long-termism. He is in Elon Musk's text messages that we all got as a result of the Twitter lawsuit. Oh. Um, at this point, he was also at MIT, and he met with Sam at a cafe in Cambridge, Massachusetts, uh, where McCaskill- Which one? Exp- Which one? Which one? Which one? I, I, I don't know. I'm sure it's out there somewhere, Jamie. <laughs> um, it's, I'm sure you've gotten a hot dog there. Um, that's That seems likely. No, any place this guy's going, it doesn't have hot dogs. They're not ethical. They're famously right. unethical. So, yeah, you're probably right. So, yeah. <laughs> McCaskill explained the concept of effective altruism to him, which is, again, this idea that, like, what matters is, is you, you should, like, think kind of coldly and robotically about how you do help to make sure that your charity money does the the most that it can do. Uh, but one of the big, like, arguments about it is that, like, okay, well, what if you, you know, should you save a drowning child instead of saving, like, three kids from a burning building? And it's like, 
That's a nonsense mm. choice. Nobody's ever been presented with that choice at any point in the history of the human race. That is I not like not a reasonable. That is not a. There, there's no point to that ethical argument. New You're not smart for debating problem it. Problem just dropped, yeah. Robert. Yeah, <laughs> and it, it makes no sense. Yeah, it makes no fucking sense. <laughs> there's like bits of it that are reasonable, which is that like, well, you know, it makes sense to like look at the best thing you can do financially. You know, in terms of donating money, is uh, you know malaria prevention because it winds up being the most cost effective thing. But it's like, okay, does that mean we shouldn't put money into making the water in Flint, Michigan drinkable. And a lot of these guys will say no, because that's not the best use of money. And it's like, well, we can do many things with money, especially if we tax billionaires and put it towards rebuilding infrastructure. A number of things can be done. What? Sorry. Anyway, whatever. Elon's shitty McCaskill kind of pills this guy on effective altruism. He frames it as a strategic investment whose success um, was measured in population's worth of human lives. He estimated using back-of-the-envelope math that $2,000 could save one life, and so a million dollars could save 500 people, a billion could save half a million, and a trillion dollars could theoretically save half a billion lives. Based on that totally legitimate math, people the only are math, ethical, Robert. There's people are math. People. It all works people out that math. way. Yeah. Based based on that absolutely real math, the only ethical way for a genius like Sam to use his time and talents is to become the world's first trillionaire. And I'm going to quote again from that article that no. I made. SBF listened, nodding as Miss Gaskell made his pitch. The earn to give logic was airtight. It was, SBF realized, <laughs> applied utilitarianism. Knowing what he had to do, SBF simply said, yep, that makes sense. But right there, between a bright yellow sunshade and the crumb-strewn red brick floor, SBF's purpose in life was set. He was going to get filthy rich for charity's sake. All the rest was merely execution risk. His course established, McCaskill gave SBF one less navigational uh, nudge to set him on his way, suggesting that SBF get an internship at Jane Street that summer. And so for the good of mankind, for the good of mankind, get in the finance industry and gamble this like a motherfucker. Little asshole. I, I swear know, I to know. God. I fucking hate these people so much. The um, what? Oh, God. Makes sense. Yeah. You yeah. know, look, I think yep. that airtight. <laughs> Airtight. You can't debate that lot. There's no argument to be made about that logic, Jamie. I mean, so, I know that this is the wrong person to be turning on in this moment, but this is the dick writingist uh, language. This is I've the dick, Jamie. This is like he has not begun to write dick. He's this is this choking. is he, he's he, choking on the thing. <laughs> This, so, this man's got no gag reflex and it no is, sign of slowing uh, down. Jamie, I'm going to read you some passages from this that are going to make you gag. It is unbearable. <laughs> So, nice. and it's like, this article is like 10,000 fucking words. It took me like an hour to get through this thing. It's massive. Who is, he's like, maybe if I do it, he'll give me a kiss on the mouth. We'll see. Well, the, the, basically we'll see. this, this was published by Sequoia, which is a massive like investment fucking fund thing on oh, their sorry, website. Journalistic entity. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It looks like that. It looks exactly like an article from like Wired or something. Like they clearly laid it out like that. But it, I think I it was done because they put like $200 million into his company. So they needed to justify it by making him look like a genius. So it's like those articles that like are occasionally, I mean, it's more scary when they're on actual journalistic outlets and then it, there's yeah. just a little tag saying like, hey, this is sponsored by RuPaul's fracking farm or whatever the fuck. <laughs> And it's like, why, why fracking? RuPaul and Exxon Mobil. 
um, LGBT icons. So aye, aye, aye. Sam Bankman Freed gets into finance and he's a very good trader as I mean, I have no way to judge this, but Sequoia like, says he was a good means, trader. Sure. Um, he was good at making a lot of money for other people and also a lot of money for himself. Besides, for um, yeah. he gave away 50 percent of his income to his favorite charities. But those charities okay. were mostly the Center for Effective Altruism and 80,000 Hours, which is also an effective altruism charity. What do so they again, do with money? That's a great question, Jamie. Um, it allows okay. guys like like McCaskill to live very well while also saying they only take $30,000 in salaries and give away the rest because their lives are heavily subsidized by these organizations that allow billionaires to pretend to be heroes. Oh, um, so, like, so like charity. So like charity, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he remains there happily for years until 2017 when he begins to feel as if something is not right. Now, spoilers. He's having this, a quarter-life crisis. He is having a quarter-life crisis. Oh, and no. this kid absolutely is a con artist. Uh, and what I am giving you is the polished, press-friendly version of the story for a guy whose entire life, as far as I can tell, was one long setup for an ambitious con. So when I say stuff like he gave a lot of money to charity, because there's like other charities he gives to, some of which sound reasonable, but I have actually no evidence okay. that he did. Like, I have no evidence that he did, and I oh, haven't seen okay. it. One of those. Um, so when I say stuff like he felt like that, or when I say stuff like he felt unfulfilled at Jane Street, that doesn't mean he actually did, because we are at present reliant on a lot of reporting from back when this kid was the toast of Wall Street. Now, after his life fell apart and his company crashed and it became clear that he was a financial criminal, it also came out that the guy who wrote the big short has been following him for six months. So <gasps> I suspect I at some point that. it's got that's gonna be fun. We're all gonna be in for a real treat when that oh, book hits. <laughs> I love I love when you're like, and guess who is following him around? You're like, oh, mm -hmm. he's got Michael Lewis on his tail. It's it, like and also if, if you're an investor shouldn't like it's somebody involved in one of these companies probably should have been able to find out like oh hey the the big short guys hanging out with him that probably means this is a giant financial crime that guy's not gonna just hang out with a dude who's good at legally making money to write about how good he is at making money legally that's like, not I'm michael actually, lewis's beat <laughs> i'm kind of going for like a change of pace this time mm -hmm. just kind of Try to see a guy who's like doing something right. Yeah. And Michael Lewis, That's aren't you the guy good. who only writes about financial crimes on like a gigantic scale? No, no, uh, no. I no. think that this is, he's just probably just trying to network. Yeah. He just, just, yeah. he just really liked this guy's attitude towards altruism. So anyway, um, yeah. Anyway, here's how that, again, very dick writing PR flack motherfucker wrote about what happens next. Quote. Yeehaw. He was, he realized, too secure. SBF's mind had been trained almost from birth to calculate. As a schoolboy, the hedonic calculus of utilitarianism had him trying to maximize the utility function, measured in utils, of course, for abortion. During his what? teenage game... I know, I know, that's a sentence. That's measured a sentence. in util... Does he say, of course? Uh, no, no, I said that. <gasps> Measured oh wait, no, he does say, he does say, he does say, of course. Yes, measured, measured in, in utils, utils, of course. Of course. Of course. Oh, suck my ass, you fucking I, unbelievable. loser. Oh During his God. teenage gaming years, his mathematical abilities allowed him to sharpen his tactics and win. And of course, every trade SBF ever made at Jane was the subject of a risk-reward calculation. All of it boiled down to expected value. The formula is fairly simple. If the amount won multiplied by the probability of winning a bet is greater than the amount lost multiplied by the probability of losing a bet, then you go for it, irrespective of units. Utils, euros, dollars, we're all subject to the same record 
reckoning. But at Jane, SBF osmosed another trading principle. He learned to be risk neutral. In simple terms, a trader, given a choice between a $50 and a 50% chance at $100, must be agnostic if they want to maximize the expected value of earnings over a lifetime. Those who prefer the sure win are risk-averse, and those who would rather gamble are risk-lovers. But both risk-lovers and the risk-averse are suckers equally, because over the long run, they lose out to the risk-neutral, who take both deals without prejudice. That makes no sense. That makes no sense at all because, like, you, you're you're assuming you have to like choose between one. Can you just take both? Is that like the is that the offer? Because it seems like the the whole thought experiment is about choosing between one. None of this makes very much sense. Like, this, I I had a brain hemorrhage in the middle yeah. of that, and then I was th- I couldn't stop thinking about. Do you and think again, that utilitarians? How do utilitarians feel about kissing with tongue? Do you think? Um, how, how many utils does it take to kiss with tongue or, or don't waste your fucking I don't know. time? Let me write the equation out, Jamie, and try to try to sketch out the math on. I think they wouldn't kissing. be into it. I think they would be like, well, what's the point? Yeah, that's that seems real. I only have so, five utils. Sorry, okay, Jamie, uh, Jamie, I got to continue this. What the fuck did that sentence mother- say? What I, did that I, say? I don't know, but we have to read another one. Quote, here, SBF realized, was the rub. When he applied this principle to his own life, he came up short. There was little chance he'd get himself fired from Jane Street. Thus, the decision to stick with Jane was a risk-averse preference. It was the logical equivalent of being offered a choice between $50 and 50% of $100 and saying, give me President Grant. SBF was risk-neutral on behalf of Jane Street, but not, he realized, for his own life. To be fully rational about maximizing his income on behalf of the poor, he should apply his trading principles across the board. He had to find a risk-neutral career path, which, if we strip away the trader jargon, actually means he needed to take on a lot more risk now in the hopes of... Now we're stripping bec- it away? Oh, Jamie, you need to At hear this. At this point, we're stripping it away? I've been asleep for six <laughs> minutes. Come on! Which, if we strip away the trader jargon, actually means he felt he needed to take on a lot more risk in the hopes of becoming part of the global elite. The math couldn't be clearer. Very high risk multiplied by dynastic wealth... Trump's low risk multiplied by mere rich guy wealth. To do the most good for the world, SBF needed to find a path on which he'd be a coin coin toss away from going totally bust. So, the path is risk neutral, but that means taking a lot of risk because the most risk is the only way to become the wealthiest person in the world and only by becoming the wealthiest person in the world can you avoid risk. You get it, Jamie? Yeah, and that's the most ethical thing you can do, right? That's clearly the most logical, ethical way to live. So So do you think that they kiss with tongue or not? I I mean, I think what he's saying is in order to avoid the risk of catching an STD, you have to take on a job as the bathroom mat at a brothel. Um, Oh, I see. That's the risk averse, yeah, or risk neutral presentation. Oh, I'm um, frantically rubbing my final brain cells together, <laughs> trying to make heads or tails of that. And just like it's so, it's nothing complete, is sparking. It is it is howling clown shit. It is absolute it barking really nonsense is like a, a, a vortex of bullshit to be like. So no. anyways, it's really clear. And the math couldn't be clearer that he has to be the most richest guy or everyone is going to die. Like, it's actually this is, really urgent. You know. It's one of those things because I have I have known a, a number of rich guys in my life, um, and some of them are in ladies. Good for and you, Robert. There's two kinds. Oh, there's wow, people. There's people who were poor at one point, and mm-hmm. some of those people are unhinged, and some of them still remember being poor enough to talk like normal people. And then there's people like this who Sam was never rich, 
as a kid, but he lived in this rarefied air where finance and like the 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 concept of worrying about money or his economic status was not a thing because everyone around him when he was a kid was so high status. Right. And he like he's just lived in this it's not even a it's not even a bubble. He grew up on a different planet. Like the mm-hmm. world does not exist to him the same way it does to everyone else. And so he's like that's the only way you can talk about things in this way. Um well, it, that it or like you're a that giant sort of sinister man. thing where you're talking about everything like it is very my thinking is like it's so easy for him and people like this to to think of other people as theoreticals because it, they've yeah. never had a problem before they, so it's like oh never problems had a problem. are a game of chance because i've never, never met a person right right like right. he has Which never known a human being just stanford professors Sorry. exactly just stanford professors and problems in his video games so yeah and not that all nerd i mean i'm not i i'm i'm afraid of uh nerd you know people who identify as nerds coming into my mentions i'm not saying that that's everybody but i'm saying like he's not no, been socialized fact, like a person and that yeah, these mostly are, has to do with class yeah yeah god damn it um so The next thing that SBF did after deciding he had to quit Jane Street um, is start pondering how he might change the world in a way that minimized his risk by maximizing his risk or some shit. Anyway, as he told it, he considered (sighs) four career fields. And this is (laughs) these are his notes on the four (laughs) things he might do after being a traitor. Number one, journalism, low pay, but a massively outsized impact potential. Number two, Uh running for office or maybe just being an advisor. Number three, working for the movement. EA, effective altruism, needs people. Number four, Uh starting a startup. But what exactly? Number five, bumming around the Bay Area for a month or so just to see what happens. Now, again... Sounds like a bad Bumble date. Like, yeah. just like, so what do you do? He's like, um, well, um, so startup maybe, but what is yeah. a startup really? What is a startup? I don't know. So again, he spent years working in finance. He's got plenty of money. He came from the Bay Area. So five was an option and it's one he took. Um, and by the way, like as a general cool. rule, if you decide to quit your job and you have the financial ability to putter around for a month or two and think things through, not a bad idea. Sure. Um, but Sam is going to do this in the worst way possible. Uh, oh, he okay. eventually hits upon uh, his great next idea, which is to make a shitload of money in crypto. Now, when he quits Jane Street is 2017. And if you guys can remember back that far, that's the first big winter when cryptocurrency boomed, like kind of all throughout the last quarter or so of 2017. Bitcoin was just sailing up like massive rises. Ether had a big rise too. just kind Were of went we around to so young early, wow. early 2018. A lot mm-hmm. of Bitcoin nerds who people have been making fun of for years became overnight multi multi-millionaires and this was kind of the first point at which normal people started to think shit maybe i should get into this maybe i can make a lot of money right Mm -hmm. this is this is the thing that blew up bitcoin and there was a crash after this but it, it recovered yada 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 sam was savvy enough to look at this and know that these moments where this thing where a lot of funny money is on the table but there's no regulation um Mm -hmm. and regular people have started to get interested because they think they might get rich this is the point at which an unethical person can make the absolute most money in a financial market right and And you can be unethical to quote one of the greats you can Mm -hmm. be unethical and still be legal that's the way i live my life Mm -hmm. and you know who else lives their life that way jamie loftus you and you're tossing the ads yeah that's right i I am indeed (laughs) i am indeed baby uh here we go All right. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. 
Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini-games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Bean Dad. The Dress. 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go, right? There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. On NPR's new podcast, Wild Card, we have ripped up the typical script. It's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wild Card on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> what? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Hmm? So, J-Loft, Jaloftus. Yes. yes, it's actually uh, J-Lo. It's the first... Uh, I'm the first person to use that, and it's wow. really starting to catch on. Bold. Um, I, oh, shit, Ben Affleck's calling me. One sec, Jamie, let me take this call. 
Oh, that's my boyfriend. Oh, no, he's just weeping outside of a Dunkin' Donuts and pocket dialed me again. Normal normal Ben stuff, <laughs> am I right? Oh, Ben. Look, Ben, uh, I, sometimes I, I, meet, I meet up with my friend Ben at the Atwater Dunks, and I really, I really <laughs> set him straight. It's mm-hmm. nice. Yeah, Ben Affleck, sober for years and looks like he's hungover in every single photograph. Oh, world's what a king, man! I love. I him. know, I do, I do. I have a lot of. There's just a something about him that warms my heart. It's his back it's his tattoo, tattoo of a I was phoenix. Say you love his back tattoo. <laughs> it's just that I, takes courage, you know, moral courage. I just he's think fucked, it's he's, so amazing. He's fucked up. That I think he we need to add him. that back tattoo. And mm-hmm. still got to marry Jennifer Lopez. I think Look, I, I mean, think Jennifer we should Lopez put his name on the Vietnam memorial in honor of the courage that it took to get that that back tattoo. I mean, he is braver than the troops, and he did for mm-hmm. a while hold hold the status of most divorced man in America. Um, <laughs> but that is now. Uh, but he fixed it by hiring. I, I feel like Lopez. the contest. I was going to say. I was going to say they did. <laughs> to be fair, they did get married at a plantation. I don't know. Yeah, that I mean, that's all that's all very fucked up. But I, I do feel the contest for most divorced man. Did you ever watch Dragon Ball Z as a kid, Jamie? Yes, I didn't. No, I didn't. Oh. Grow up with Dragon well, Ball there's Z this kid. thing. The, 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 Dragon Ball Z would always do this thing where like you have this guy and he's like the most badass person ever that everybody has to figure out how to fight. And it's this big problem because this is the most terrifying thing in the universe. And the next season, like. There's something that's like a thousand times scarier. It's just this like power creep kind of thing. I feel yeah. like we've all been dealing with that with a divorced guy because divorced guy Ben Affleck not doesn't even register on the divorced guy no, scale I mean, next in, to Elon. We're living in the age of Kanye and Elon. There's yeah, some really inc- divorced yeah. guys. And look out because Tom Brady is about to fucking hit the World Trade Center. Tom Brady's going to go super saiyan divorced. It's amazing. Be, that is going to a third divorced man has hit the World yeah. Trade Center. It is bad. <laughs> It's bad. <laughs> oh, incredible. So back to Sam Bankman Fried. Um, right, right, right. <laughs> he, he has just he has just decided to get into crypto. Now, the first way to make money in crypto that that occurred to him, because he spends a bunch of time looking into the market, and he mm-hmm. find he sees that there's this thing called, I think it's like the the kimchi premium or whatever like that they come up with some weird kind of racist name about it which is basically bitcoin is worth a lot more in japan and korea than it is in the united states right it's like worth 15 grand in in japan and korea and it's like 10 grand in the united states something like that why why is that there's a variety of complicated factors basically there's a bunch of different laws around banking and who can and cannot hold accounts and execute trades in those areas that okay. leads to this premium because like normally if a premium like that if the markets were kind of accessible to each other if bitcoin's worth 15 grand in asia and 10 grand in the us then you buy bitcoin in the us and you sell it in asia and you get free money right um very obvious um if you can, but you can't do that because you can't get access to the, as an American, you can't like get a Chinese account in order to buy Bitcoin there. Right. Um, or a Korean account or a Japanese account. There's all these laws. So that you make can't it just do like a trade. banking VPN. No, you can't, yeah. you cannot do that. And no okay. one can figure out how to do it. How as a Westerner to sell Bitcoin over in these parts of Asia and get that premium. Right. And like, just get a bunch of free cash. Mm-hmm. Sam figures out a way to do it. 
um, which is basically like picking up a pile of free money, right? If you're buying mm-hmm. Bitcoin for 10 grand and other people want to pay 15 grand for it, you're just making cash, right? right. Um, and primarily the way he does that is through friends in the effective altruism community who are like placed in banks and stuff over in Asia who like help him figure out how to do this. I'm not going right. to go into the details. They, 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 I mean, this fucking dick writing article spends a long time explaining how he figures this out. And it might even have been legal. He may not have broken the law to do this, although it's kind of hard to know because all of this is complicated finance gibberish. Um, mm-hmm. By the way, yeah, it, this I'm not, is called I'm a, honestly, I'm not getting a word of this. Uh, finance guys call this an arbitrage. And it's basically the idea that right. if you can, if there's a resource that's worth a bunch more money one place than it is the other place, you uh-huh. buy it where it's cheap and you sell it where it's expensive and you get free money, right? That makes okay. sense? Yeah. 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 If, if yeah. I am, Jamie. <laughs> Jamie, Do I sound panicked if, and defensive? If, 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 if my yes. drug dealer sells me ketamine for like 40 bucks uh, uh, a gram, right? Uh-huh. And uh, I don't know, at a house party, you're hanging out at a couple of blocks away, somebody get, says that they'd pay $70 a gram for ketamine. You can okay. make 30 free bucks by taking the ketamine you bought for 40 bucks and selling it at that other house party, right? Okay, so that was you speaking to me in terms that you would understand, but I do think I got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ketamine <laughs> makes everything make sense. Yeah, So <laughs> you just gave it to me in Robert speak. I got it, I got he it. Makes, he makes a shitload of money doing this, and he decides sure. to roll this money into a company which will allow him to hire employees to gamble with cryptocurrency at scale, to try and find different fucked up little areas like this where they can make a bunch of money by executing trades. He picks members of the EA community as his first employees, including Carolyn Ellison, a former co-worker, co-worker at Jane Street, who we will be talking about in a little bit, and Nishad Singh, a former Facebook employee. Industrial scale dick writer Adam Fisher lets you know that Singh is an incredible, almost impossibly good human being by describing him this way. <laughs> He often wears a t-shirt with the words compassionate to the core printed in diminutive all lowercase font over his heart. Do you do you think that this guy, this writer, like just it's at this point he's on like a bucking bronco of yeah. SBF's dick? Like it's mm-hmm. just absolutely ridiculous. He is he is fifty percent this guy's dick by weight. It is unbelievable. What, is he, what does he think is going to happen for him? He's going to get paid by things. Sequoia to write a ten thousand word article that they oh then pull from their website when it becomes clear this man is a massive financial criminal. He's like, no, my greatest work. Mm-hmm. It's extremely nice. funny. Okay. Now, look, I don't know Singh, but based on the description that guy gives, I am convinced he's murdered a child with his bare hands. And that is my headcanon oh. for this man. Um, okay. No one else would wear that shirt. So these these EA nerds all form a trading firm called Alameda. Um, and in doing so, they came down on one side of probably the biggest split within the crypto community. See, the core of the idea that's not bad that exists within cryptocurrency is that decent is that centralized state controlled money is like has problems, right? You know, that uh-huh. th- there's things about that that are bad. Um, and it could okay. be cool and useful to be able to separate the money from the state if you could do that, right? If you could do that in a way that reduced the state's power to like, 
you know, just lock down the bank accounts of dissidents and stuff like that. There's there's well, cool benefits to it. Well, wait, well, wait, I just had an idea. What if we did that? But then we gave all the money to one guy. Well, and that's kind of what keeps that. happening. Um, oh, so, I see, I mean, I but, see, but also I see. like SBF's on the other side of this argument, right? Because uh-huh. obviously most of the actual benefits of a truly decentralized online currency are just you can buy drugs with it over the Internet. But still, that is a real value. People do, in fact, buy drugs using cryptocurrency and that's fine um and the committed Uh, ideological crypto people tend Uh to keep their money offline in a wallet only they can access right so you basically you have like a hard drive that has all of your crypto on it and that that only touches the internet when you plug that into your computer and you use it to make a transaction right and otherwise it's Uh completely offline and so people can't just take it from you right right though that's the smart people this is a pain in the ass though, right? Like keeping it in this thing, like there's all these security, you can lose your password. People actually do lose their money this way too. But anyway, it, it's, it's, it, it, there's a, a, a measure to which it, it makes sense and is secure, but most people don't wanna go through that pain in the ass. So they put all of their crypto mer- currency in what are effectively crypto banks, these exchanges. And these exchanges are places like Mt. Gox, which a few years ago, all of the money got stolen from, and okay. FTX, which Sam Bankman-Fried makes, which also oh, all of the money gets stolen from, right? right so right. the people who are like, no, you shouldn't do what Sam is doing, you shouldn't make an exchange, because that's not decentralized, and we like this because it's decentralized, they are are the ones who get robbed less often because okay. <laughs> they're a little smarter. Um, and that's part of the point. These exchanges, they're meant for people who don't see crypto actually as like, well, I, I want to fight the state by removing my money from the banking system. They're for people who are like, I want to try to get rich quick by gambling. Right. And that's uh-huh. why those people are also the most vulnerable to scams. Um, Robert, anytime you explain crypto with me to me, even though I know I need to understand it for the context of the episode, I just feel like I'm in a corner at a house party and I'm holding what? a clammy Bud Light and it's mostly empty. And you're like, just one more thing, though, because uh, uh, so, I mean, the important thing to understand is that what Sam has done. So crypto is like unregulated, right? It is detached right. from any state. OK, right. Which is um, why people like it, which is why people like it. Yeah. Sam has what Sam has done is come in and he's not the first person, the only person to do this and sure. said, I have built a place where you can keep all of your crypto and you mm-hmm. can trade it with other crypto to try to make money the same way people do with the stock market. Right. Where where it is more secure. No, because no. here's the thing, Jamie, he uh, says it's secure, but here's well, the yeah, thing. So you know not. how the banking system, how banks used to just go bust and everyone would lose their money? Uh-huh. And it caused a Great Depression. You get that uh-huh. part of, of the history of finance, right? Oh, yeah. One of the characters from Titanic uh, killed themselves over that. Exactly. Exactly. So that yeah. was a big problem. And we developed a bunch of regulations so that, uh, among know, other no, things. I know this yeah. part, Robert. <laughs> so what Sam has done is he's built a bank that has none of that so that yes. people can gamble on the Internet. Right. Okay. So that, he can that's all you need a crypto to understand. Great Depression. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Exactly. That's all you need to understand is that okay. Sam has built a big unregulated bank for people to gamble with. Um, awesome. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, and this is this is it is it could not have been clearer that this was a Ponzi scheme. In 2018, they put out an advertisement to investors, and I'm going to read it right now. I think okay. you'll be like. 
We offer one investment product, 15% annualized fixed rate loans. We can accept both fiat and crypto and can pay interest denominated in either. Um, these loans have no downside. We guarantee full payment, the principal and interest enforceable under U.S. law and established by all parties legal counsel. We are extremely confident we will pay this amount. In the unlikely case where we lose more than 2%. Anyway, again, I, I'm not a finance expert. Neither are you, Jamie banks offer like a 3% return on like a fucking uh, 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 if you're like putting a pile of cash in a bank and you're getting 3% back you're doing okay 15% nonsense that nobody no one can guarantee that it's not a real product I was pretty struck by their use of the language like we're pretty confident we're mm-hmm. gonna be able to play sounds also, like that just sounds like someone who's not actually very well, confident and also that. if this is if you are if you are investing in a mar- in the stock market right and someone says this investment has no downside it's impossible for it to fail that person's lying to you and breaking right. the law because it could and often does <laughs> like oh right because then you're just you're you're making an almost yeah. guaranteed false promise yes yeah. yes you cannot do you cannot say this stock can't go down right if you're a stockbroker you can't not tell a client it is impossible for your investment in this company to fail because that would be wow. a crime um but with crypto <laughs> but with crypto <laughs> yeah. it's uncharted territory baby. it's uncharted you territory you, you can do anything this is also a ponzi scheme right what what um what fucking madoff was doing is he had this investment portfolio that was pro i forget what the exact but it was promising an unbelievably high return and guaranteeing that people would get it right and what Love he was it. doing is as new people put money into the investment he was using their money to pay the old investors so that nobody noticed that things were fucking up. But eventually new people stopped putting money into the thing and it all fell apart. And a lot of people lost billions of dollars, right? Like, yeah, I'm back. He was also using a lot of that money to live, you know, uh, an incredibly lavish rich guy life. Anyway, sorry, I only understand financial concepts when Selena Gomez breaks the fourth wall and explains it to me. I, or, I, I, I'm doing my best to be your Selena Gomez, but I, or I just do you know who Selena Gomez is? Yeah, she's that chick from the thing. Nailed it. She's a, she's kind of in the middle of a fun scandal right now where <laughs> she's in a feud with someone who donated her a kidney. What? Which is a very funny online feud. How do you dynamic. get in a feud with that person? Because she, okay, if you asked Robert, yeah, do, do this you. is something I can explain to you. <laughs> this, so, so what happened was Selena Gomez needed a kidney donated. Her close friend who works in the industry, I don't know who it was, but I guess she's like sort of famous, gave her a kidney a couple of years ago. Then Selena Gomez turns around a couple of weeks ago and says, I have no friends in the industry except Taylor Swift. In comes her kidney donor being like, oh, that's interesting because I'm one kidney lighter. Dude, like I'm not quoting it, but yeah. Wow. And then Jeez. and then Selena, instead of Jeez. apologizing, Selena Gomez is like, oh, sorry, I didn't thank every person I've ever met in my life. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> Selena, she did give you a kidney. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it, that's a special kind of friend. You guys weren't just like drinking buddies. She literally yeah. gave you a kidney. Um, and that's yeah, she what did, I she did the thing you. that you would use as like a joking description of someone who'd done a lot for you to like, right. as like to hyperbolically say that you, that you owed them a lot. You know, who's um, done and implying that Taylor Swift has done more for you than your kidney donor is yeah. so, uh, I just think it's the funniest uh, feat of all time. All right. We were talking about a cryptocurrency. 
We weren't. Um, we oh. were talking about Selena Gomez. But let's let's get back to cryptocurrency. Okay. Um, so to talk about I'll what came out. next uh, after mm-hmm. establishing Alameda, um, mm-hmm. I'm going to quote again from that Sequoia write-up. At this point, mid-2019, SBF decided to double down again and scratch his own itch. He would bet Alameda's multi-million dollar trading profits on a new venture, a trading exchange called FTX. It would combine Coinbase's solid, stolen, regulation-loving approach with the kinds of derivatives being offered by Binance and others. He only gave himself a 20% chance of success, but in his mind, SBF needed extreme risk to maximize the expected value of his lifetime earnings, and therefore the good his earn-to-give strategy could do. The fact that he was, by his own lights overwhelmingly likely to fail was besides the point. The point was this. When SBF multiplied out billions of dollars a year, a successful cryptocurrency exchange could throw off by his self-assessed 20% chance of successfully building one, the number was still huge. That's the expected value. And if you live your life according to the same principles by which you'd trade an asset, there's only one way forward. You calculate the expected values, then aim for the largest one, because in one, but just one alternate future universe, everything works out fabulously. To maximize your expected value, you must aim for it and then march blindly forth, acting as if the fabulously lucky SBF of the future can reach into the other parallel universes and compensate the fail son SBFs for their losses. It sounds crazy or perhaps even selfish, but it's not. It's math. It follows the principle of risk neutrality. Yes, it actually is crazy. That's not math. I'm sorry. That's actually not math. That wasn't math, but that was a lot of words all at once. That is like... Oh my God! The spiraling logic that is, of this—you are using so... hundreds of words and high-minded bullshit rhetoric to be like gambling is the best way to make money. <laughs> he used fabulously three times in one sentence. Yeah, man. You know who I've heard this basic argument from? My friends drunk in Las Vegas explaining why they're trying <laughs> to play at the craps table. Again. Why they don't want me to leave the little horsey game. <laughs> like, this is some. Yeah, someone's like, no, don't leave the Sex in the City slot machine. No. And here's you, you want to hear my mathematical thinking on gambling, Jamie Loftus, because this no, will make I'll more listen. sense than anything that happens in the Sequoia article. Okay. Mm-hmm. When I go to Las Vegas, I find me the penny slots where I can see the most waitresses walking around with those little trays that they have the drinks and stuff on. Herbert. Then I sit down at them and I don't start to play until one gets close to me. And then I, I press the button as soon as she walks past and I like catch her it's attention disgusting. and then I get a free drink. And the way that it works out is that as long as I can get more free drinks than I'm spending at the penny slots. And mostly mm-hmm. I'm just reading a book and hiding it while I'm at the penny slots and I only press it when the waitress gets near. Oh, he's then not like the other Vegas guys. I, I can drink effectively for free, right? It works mm-hmm. out to be like 25 cents a drink if you're really smart about it. That and is that's pretty smart. my financial I, advice to all of you. I and do I do respect that. How you make it even better. I used to go with a bag because when I was poor, what I would do is I would go to Vegas once every couple of years, usually for work, and I would mm-hmm. get all the free drinks, which came in glasses a lot of the time, and I would keep the glasses. Yeah. And so I was able to furnish oh, my apartment with stolen Las Vegas glasses. I love stealing glasses. I've stolen Some, my fair share of glasses in sometimes Vegas. Sometimes I would get up to the floors where there were the nicer hotel rooms, and I would find all the people who'd set out their plates and stuff from like room service, and I would just take those and take them back to my house. I respect that. 
I'm trying to think. I was like, I don't have a real system for Well, actually, when I go to Vegas, I always stay at the hotel with a roller coaster on top. And here's what I do. I go on the roller coaster once, mm-hmm. sometimes twice. Then mm-hmm. I go see one show. Usually it's horrible. Mm-hmm. The last time always. I went to see the Backstreet Boys. And oh, guess terrible. what? I found out one of the Backstreet Boys is in QAnon. And then yeah. I, I got bummed out from this. <laughs> it was a real bummer. That was a trip. fun text The point thread. I want to make, Jamie, is that what I just described to you, my Vegas strategy, has mm-hmm. made me infin- infinitely more money and net profit than mm-hmm. Samuel Bankman Fried is actually going to make in cryptocurrency. <laughs> oh, fun <laughs> foreshadowing. <laughs> yes. Um, so he that's would never all hang it, out near waitresses, though, because he's probably afraid of women. He's probably afraid of them. But I am fine with asking women for a free drink uh, as long as I'm paying at the penny slots, you know, so it's not weird. Wow. Feminist icon, Robert. <laughs> Feminist icon, Robert Evans. Getting those <laughs> getting those shitty Vegas Irish coffees because they come in the glasses I want oh, the most. Oh, those are nasty. Those <laughs> yeah, but I like filthy. the glasses they used to come in. They do. have. I know. But mm-hmm. then there's the consequence of having to mm-hmm. drink what's inside. Well, you know, Jamie, that's why they call me a hero. Mm-hmm. Um, Nobody does The Mahatma that. Gandhi of the West, they no. call me. The Jesus no, Christ of podcasting. Don't. These are all things people call gonna, me. If you're going to lie, make it realistic. Uh, James, Sof, James Sof. Anyway, let's continue. That um, sounds right. Yep. I'm, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I think it's hard to justify being risk averse on your own personal impact, impact, SBF told me when I quizzed him about it, unless you're doing it for personal reasons. In other words, it's selfish not to go for broke if you're planning on giving it all away in the end anyway. Again, just clown shit. So what? <laughs> all of this is a con, spoiler, so you don't have to think that yeah. much about it. In a recent series of text messages with a Vox journalist after his entire exchange exploded and everyone found out he was a financial criminal, Sam mm-hmm. Bankman-Fried more or less admitted that everything he'd had to say about effective altruism was a con, meant to get people to trust him and invest in his company. And I'm going to read the said text. That? Yeah, I'm going to read the texts to you between him and this yes. journalist, who, by the way, he put money in the Vox, so he helped fund this journalist. Wow. Wrote, so the ethics stuff, this is the journalist. So the ethics stuff, mostly a front. People will like you if you win and hate you if you lose, and that's how it all really works. Sam, yeah, I mean, that's not all of it, but it's a lot. The worst quadrant is sketchy and lose. The best is win plus question mark, question mark, question mark. Clean plus lose is bad, but not terrible. He also misspells terrible, but whatever. The journalist then replies, you were really good at talking about ethics for someone who kind of saw it all as a game with winners and losers. Yeah, he he. I had to be. It's what what reputations are made of to some extent. I feel bad for those who get fucked by it, but this dumb game we woke Westerners play where we all say the right shibboleths and so everyone likes us. And that's the actual truth here, right? That's the thing that's honest about it. It's like, yeah, man, it was all all of this talk for everyone. That's the entire, this Miss Caskell motherfucker, the only reason his effective altruism thing exists as a funded thing is as a fucking Mm. shibboleth for billionaires who don't want to pay taxes and want to let the world crumble around them while sucking as much value out of the working class as they can and want to pretend like they're heroes at the same time so that people ride their dicks in articles like that fucking Sequoia piece. That absolutely fucking ridiculous text actually is like a very important document it's incredibly important it's deeply crucial i hate that there's such a crucial document that also includes he he in it yeah yeah, there's nothing to be done about that one jamie look there's it doesn't feel good but you know we our previous most important document to that effect was an im that said ha ha so Mm -hmm. a text with he he is kind of the logical progression that is fascinating do you have any like insight into like why he would so freely admit that 
now? I don't actually. One of two things has to be happening. Because again, the spoilers, it, it this all falls apart. His exchange goes from worth $32 billion to worth basically $0 in the space of literally- I hear Lincoln literally, in my head anytime you say it like, all falls apart. Like, like 20, 24 hours this happens. His net worth falls wow. 94% in a day. Um, like it is, it all, it collect, because they realize that all of the money is gone, that he'd been taking money from one business and using to gamble in another and also to pay him and his friends and all mm-hmm. of the money that the investors had put in when they tried to withdraw it, like the, their money that was supposed to be in there on paper, none of the money existed because again, he'd stolen it. Um, Anyway, the context of this article makes it clear that he felt like, I I don't know, whatever. This was all a confidence game, right? That's the key. Yeah. All of this could work. And the balance sheets, because people were looking at their balance sheet, I'm making money, I'm making money, these returns are great. And that Mm -hmm. money existed on paper until they tried to take it out, because then it actually wasn't there because he had already frittered it away. Mm -hmm. It's a confidence game. And we have an, you know... Uh, that that's the way it actually worked. We also know, uh, and this is all still coming out, so I'm not going to get too much into it, but we know that he had FTX loan himself, Sam Bankman-Fried, about a billion dollars. Like, a his paper value was dollars. like $22 billion, but he gave himself basically a billion dollars in other people's money. Um, although cow. he may have gambled that away. It's really unclear how much money he actually has liquid at the moment. Um, okay. Do we think he has any? I have no idea. Okay. Either either he was like actually a gambling addict and a narcissist and he really did lose it all, or this was a con from the beginning, knowing it would all collapse and he got as much as he could out of it and he's going to wind up someplace without extradition, right? Like, See, and that was the goal. Uh, if you asked me a couple of years ago, I would have said it's the latter, but I feel like the last couple of years have demonstrated so often that like people are just straight up not smart and don't have a plan yeah. and it is all a narcissist shell game. It's That's- very... It, it's it's unclear wow. at the moment. I'm going to read you some things at the end here, and, and you can kind of make your... Anyway, whatever. Okay. So a, it, after, you know, starting FTX, the company moves to Hong Kong and then the Bahamas, and they, they use... They buy these very... Like a $39 million mansion that he lives in with his friends using FTX tokens, Money. which is like internal cash that his company issues based I'm on the just, perceived value of the company. How, they don't... Mm. How many rooms is that? It's what? a shitload. And and they're able to buy it Why? because everything's like their paper on paper. They've gone from nothing to worth thirty two billion dollars in like a year or two. And uh-huh. these these idiot like property owners in the Bahamas are like, well, clearly the best thing we could do is buy this building using the fake money they created for their own company that they tell us is worth a lot of money. This is oh, worth yeah. Oh, yeah. it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so. Since everything collapsed, some people that SBF had like reached out to as early investors have commented about why they didn't invest in this company in the early days. And most of them, it's because like what they could see of his investments, the tens of millions that he promised to charities and the long positions in risky crypto companies didn't make sense. They would look at like the things he was buying with the company assets and the things that like he was investing in and be like, well, there's no way he could have that kind of liquidity if this is a legitimate exchange, right? He can't have that kind of cash on hand Ooh, it doesn't make rich, any sense rich fucking assholes always telling themselves like that yeah that's funny and, and what's funny is that like i found one of these guys who like yeah i didn't invest because i could tell it was a con and then was like but i didn't tell anybody because i didn't want to get yelled at <laughs> <laughs> no that's that's unfortunately i do see myself in that statement a little bit where i was like oh someone might be someone might send me a rude text yeah Um, i guess i won't say anything about this yeah 
Oh my god! Um, it's what very spineless, funny. goofy bullshit. I don't know. I'll tell you one thing, Jamie. He's a spineless guy who still has his fucking money. <laughs> wow, you're in love with him. That's what. Um, wow. Yeah, wow, you know, wow, wow. Uh, whatever. It's the finance industry. They're all ghouls. So They're all ghouls. From what we can actually tell now, because again, uh, this fucking Captain Dick Rider, the bad writer like i i have to read you another quote that i didn't have in my script to to give you an idea of just how much he fucking how much he loves sbf here's a quote um from him uh okay yeah this is this is actually jamie oh boy this is when this is when this is when this is when the writer captain dick writer is hanging out with him in uh the bahamas at his office Quote, and he's like, what if we kissed? Okay. <laughs> Sensing an opportunity for connection, I chip in with my own two Satoshi, which is mm. two cents, but a, a Bitcoin term. Anyway, I'm whatever. going to walk into the ocean. Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I don't pay any attention to social media, not because I have any moral case against it, I say, but because for me, reading books is the highest bandwidth way I know to get quality information into my brain, which just craves the stimulation. I'm addicted to reading, which explains how I ended up being a writer. <laughs> Oh, yeah, said SBF, says SBF, I would never read a book. I'm not sure what to say. I've read kind a book a week from... <laughs> I hate them both, because I'm not sure what to say. I've read a book a week for my entire adult life, and I have written three of my own. I'm very skeptical of books. I don't want to say no book is ever worth reading, but I actually do believe something pretty close to that, explains SBF. I think if you wrote a book, you fucked up, and it should have been a six-paragraph blog post. Meanwhile, this guy's writing a 10,000 word article writing his dick that he will not read. Oh, uh, this is so like two funny. Head, it's like two mm-hmm. guys whose heads are made out of rocks just going, well, go, like clonking against each other repeatedly. Just, just, just wait, Jamie. Jamie, it, has, it hasn't gotten as bad as it's going to get. Oh, no. I Whatever the case. Like, I hate books. That's Whatever brilliant. the case, I find myself sad for the man, and it occurs to me that my reaction is exactly what might be expected from a beta in the brave new world crypto is creating. Whoa. How can you write that and not leap off the top of a building? Like He literally self-identified as a beta to well, what? And also just, like, what I, I love about this is just like, well, we have to take Sigma? it... We have to take it as given that crypto is creating a brave new world and none of us has any choice in that. It's inevitable. It's unstoppable. It's going to dominate so everything, which I is like capitulate uh, to our, our beep, beep, boop, boop overlords. Yeah. So I think again, what I wonder, does he think I think wouldn't someone with IQ points to spare realize that dismissing books, all books is essentially worthless, might rile a writer. Was he playing with me? Is this fun? Is this humor? I'm satisfied with my meta analysis until I realize that one can always increment the level of strategic play in this sort of game. It's like poker. Level one is just thinking about how to strengthen your own hand. Level two is thinking about what your opponent's hand is. Level three is thinking about what your opponent thinks your hand is, and so on. And since SBF is obviously a genius, I should simply assume that, compared with me, SBF will always be playing at level N plus one, which was no. ma- which makes my analysis of the intent behind SBF's Books for Losers idea spiral into infinity and crash like a computer... Like, Robert, is this how you it, write about me in your diary? No, Jamie, because you know, do, do you know what the only ethical, speaking of ethics, you know what, if you think this way about uh-huh. conversations, the ethical <laughs> thing to do is fill your pockets with rocks and walk into the ocean. Wow, you're wolfing this guy. Yeah, I absolutely am. Um, him and Sam Bankman Fried. I could not hate these people more. 
I mean, um, they're both there. <laughs> there's never been two wronger people having a conversation. And of course it came out. He's just like, well, obviously he's a genius. We have to assume that because he became a billionaire. So, and it's like, no, he was never a billionaire. Well, Robert, faked, in his defense, that's math. He did he the math. He faked a balance sheet. It, like oh, we've now gotten access because he had to like go into bankruptcy and step down. So like now there's a caretaker trying to get people's money out of the company. And we know shit like we've seen the Excel files where they kept their financial records. And it's uh-huh. him being like, this is basically bullshit. Like, sorry about this. We fucked this up. We weren't actually keeping records here. The company oh. balance sheet, there was no accounting department. People would file their like, like when they would spend hundreds, tens of hundreds of millions of dollars on things, they would just message each other on signal about it to get approval and had delete deleted messages on. So there's actually like no record of a lot of the accounting. They did at one point hire an outside accounting firm to handle their accounting of this $32 billion company. And the firm Uh they hired is the, it it bills itself as the only metaverse based accounting firm. Um, Oh they, my the, god. His the accounting firm for this $32 billion company exists entirely within a crypto themed video game called Decentraland. Um it is so I feel fucking worse stupid. And worse with everything you're saying. Okay, so this is really this is bad and this feels mm. bad to hear. Um I have a question. Yes, Jamie. Um who is I guess because I am I am kind of back in in Lizzie Holmes land because that whole last I mm-hmm. mean like departments that should be you know taking care of shit don't even exist which mm-hmm. is very Theranos adjacent uh, to me Theranosi um, yeah Th- Theranosian if you will as uh, look, we've both written books we can just make up random yeah of words. course yeah that's um, that's mostly what writing a book is for sure <laughs> I view myself as the beta of this conversation mm-hmm. and so I feel comfortable asking you Robert mm-hmm. um who is ultimately affected by this like what is the like trickle down of this what happens um is it just other rich assholes or is, does it affect regular like does it affect uh probably there will presumably be some here's the thing and here is why there's that lawsuit against like larry david and all those other guys who appeared in the ftx ad yeah Uh, presumably a bunch of regular people got suckered into putting their money on ftx and those people have probably lost some money that said for the most part it's fine because most of the people who lost money are like gamblers who probably suck as much as this guy did um, and it's awesome. one of those things, there's just an article, I think at financial times where someone was like, actually, and I, I think they actually had a good point. We shouldn't regulate the crypto industry because if mm-hmm. we regulate it, it will be brought in closer to the actual financial industry as it exists. And banks will put more investments into crypto and it will get mm-hmm. seen as like legitimate and backed by the state. And so when these con men destroy tens of billions of dollars overnight and cause panic in the industry, it will affect the real economy. And right now it doesn't seem to. And like, yeah, I guess mm-hmm. that is kind of, that's not a bad point. Maybe we just let it die on its own. I don't know. Um it seems like so, there's more like we'll we'll know more. Yeah. So yeah, okay. we will continue to learn more. Now, one of the things that's funniest about this is that Sequoia, this investment firm, put like two hundred million dollars into the company, which they have all written off now. They're accepting it as a total loss. This oh, they're going. They're, they're going full yeah. Batgirl on this. Okay. Now, when you hear this very serious investment firm put two hundred million dollars into this business, you probably yeah. assume, Jamie, wow, I bet he had a good pitch, right? I actually, I don't know. If we're talking Theranos, I actually don't think that that is, uh, that's not well, disqualifying to have a dog shit pitch. You know, you know who can make this clear for us is Captain Dick Ryder. 
Oh, Quote, thanks. SPF told Sequoia about the so-called super app. I want FTX to be a place where you can do anything you want with your next dollar. You can buy Bitcoin. You can send money in whatever currency to any friend anywhere in the world. You can buy a banana. You can do anything with you you want with your money from inside FTX. Suddenly, <laughs> the chat window. Arrested development. <laughs> it's also like sentence. How much yeah, you, did a banana cost? I don't know. I feel like I can do Bitcoin? anything I want with my debit card. Like, I've never run into a thing I wanted to buy and been like, ah, I cannot. (laughs) No, how do I actually? I can even buy drugs with it by going to an ATM. If I were to be a person who buys drugs, which I'm not, I could go to an ATM and take out cash and purchase. Support your local drug dealer and banana vendor for Mm -hmm. crying out loud. So he gives this banana pitch, quote, suddenly the chat window on Sequoia's side of the Zoom lights up with partners freaking out. I love this founder, typed one partner. I am a 10 out of 10, pinged another. Yes, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclaimed a third. What Sequoia was reacting to was the scale of SBF's vision. It wasn't a story about how we might use fintech in the future or crypto, crypto or a new kind of bank. It was a vision about the future of money itself with a total addressable market of every person on the entire planet. I sit 10 feet this from is... him, and I I know it's... <laughs> these people are just... I they imagine are jokes. like three executives they... doing lines of coke and one swallowing a banana with the peel still on. They're like, yes! Yep. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. So it's... it's... I mean, which does kind of continue with the trend of like, you know, SBF has never had a problem or a like anything to overcome like if it's this easy for him to con people into shit like of course you would have a god complex you've never you've never been told no yep 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 it's cool so what sequoia was react yeah sorry uh, i have to continue this this fucking quote and next he's going to talk about a person who works at sequoia and is in the room for this i sit 10 feet from him and i walked over thinking oh shit that was really good remembers aurora and it turns out that fucker was playing league of legends through the entire meeting and this is framed in the article and in all the coverage before everything fell apart is like so awesome he's so cool this writer talks a bunch about how like sam never stops playing video games when he's talking to this writer when he's having corporate meetings he's playing video games basically a hundred percent of the time um Mm -hmm. and this is always mentioned as like he's always working he's always in the office he sleeps in a beanbag chair at his desk and it's like no dude he's not always working he's conning you and he plays video games all the time and pretends that that's a fucking job um which is great great con good for you yeah, buddy always working um, and always there two very different flavors of ex- things ex- happening ex- exactly yeah um it's all part of the fucking con so is the fact that he always he always wore like ratty old athletic shorts and like a wrinkled t-shirt because like that's for if you are a young man in the tech industry that makes right. people think you're a genius right because geniuses dress like shit um, yeah, he's like, now if I bring a real stink into the yeah. room, people are gonna <laughs> yeah, like yeah. jack up my already fake IQ mm-hmm. score about twenty points. Yeah, this is fucking yeah. horseshit. And it's like, you know who else dresses like shit? The Me. guy I used to buy weed from. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, yeah. You know, Does he also you know have who a pet also, snake? <laughs> you know who wears the <laughs> same outfit as Sam Bankman Freed? My old buddy who once at a party got into an argument with a guy and broke 15 bones in his face because they were both <laughs> drinking. <laughs> Not a corporate genius. 
I do like that um, shared aesthetic where it's like really the difference is the pet snake. That is, yeah. the, that's the, that's, that's how you truly can sniff out yeah. uh, the millionaire from the, av- yeah. yes. So I lo- anyway, I want a pet snake. he's basically like, he's the same kind of person as Elizabeth Holmes. And he mm. was, again, he's a confidence man. And this gets us into the Larry David shit because the, the thing about being a confidence man is that as long as people are convinced there's money, their money is safe and most of them don't try to pull it out, then you can keep the con going and you can keep the fake right. numbers increasing and you, everyone will think you're richer and you can actually get real money out of this. So mm. one of the things that he did is he would pour shitloads of money into uh sponsorship deals and to other ventures to make his company seem legit. Oh, One way he did this, come in. yeah, he spent 17 and a half million through FTX to sponsor the athletic teams at UC Berkeley. Uh, he launched a $20 million ad campaign with Tom Brady and Giselle Bunchen. He offered <gasps> NFTs at Divorce Coachella. Uh-huh. And he spent $135 <laughs> million on the naming rights for the Miami Heat's home arena. And the purpose, this is all to build confidence, right? You see, you see it's mm-hmm. the, the fuck, it's the same thing crypto.com did, by the way, with the arena in Y'all's I was about to say, I was like, I, yeah. I feel like the crypto.com arena is not long for this world. And you we, have don't, to we don't, Should we I don't in, recognize that as an act. Is my money thing. safe in this thing that's a bank, but not a bank? Well, their name is on the arena, so it's probably legit. Here's what? the thing is like, yeah, it's like now walking into the crypto.com arena, I couldn't feel less safe. Mm-hmm. I couldn't feel less secure. Nobody no. Unlike when that. it was the Staples Center. I'm like, yeah. oh, you know what's never going to go out of style? Little staples. notebooks. People no. <laughs> have been using staples since we were cavemen, I assume. So, yes, the again, earliest technology. Just like the in worst his, fucking name on earth. But it's it's just, uh, yeah. it infuriates me. These people. Yeah, so Sophie it, has a it, dog in the fight. I, don't. I do. In yeah. his interview with Vox, Sam basically admits this, albeit in a slightly careful way. Journalist. So FTX technically wasn't gambling with their money. FTX had just loaned their money to Alameda, who hadn't gam- who had gambled with their money and lost Ooh. it. And you didn't realize it was a big deal because you didn't realize how much money it was. Sam responds. And also, I thought Alameda had enough collateral to reasonably cover it. Oh. Journalist says, oh, okay. I get how you could have gotten away with it, but I guess that seems sketchy even if you get away with it. <laughs> Sam, it was never the intention. Sometimes life creeps up on you. Um, so he literally Sa- said life comes at you fast yeah, life comes at wow. you fast so wow. Sam's net worth tops out at around 22 billion dollars on paper in reality neither Alameda nor FTX had ever taken in even close to that much money the valuation was based sure. entirely on nonsense calculations that were themselves based on lies from FTX's extremely cooked books there's a lot more about this than we're getting into people are still finding this all out there is one thing I should probably read which is so you know when it, his company collapsed, he had to step down from running it, right? And because a lot of money is still in there and a lot of like investments are still tied up in that, they mm-hmm. uh, they they put a guy in charge of the company again, right? And there's like, there's specific dudes in the business world um, whose like job is to come in when a company fucks up like this and like try and get as much money back out for the shareholders oh. as possible to minimize the bleeding. So they they kind of have like a like how they they had in like old Hollywood they have like a fixer guy yeah yeah in? yeah they have a okay. and this is this fixer guy specifically he is the guy that they brought in um when Enron he took over Enron after it fell apart in order to try and like minimize the damage from it so he is wow. the guy who got brought in to deal with like the fact that this massive fucking crime happened with Enron um one sec. My my favorite um, my favorite Enron memory. Not that you asked, rude. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
was um, the uh, Women of Enron Playboy spread that I got to oh, archive God. during my time there. Oh, God. And boy, did those Enron girl bosses yeah. have their... their <laughs> so as... It's second only to Women of 7-Eleven, which is my actual favorite spread. Continue. So, uh, first off, you know, this company has about a million creditors. So about a million people possibly lost their entire investment in this company, which is a stunning amount of people to take money from. Um, and again, so we're probably, we are probably looking at like five or $10 billion stolen, something like that. It's kind of unclear the exact amount. But anyway, this is what the guy in the Delaware bankruptcy court filing, this is what the guy who was, the guy who took over Enron after it became clear that the whole company was a criminal enterprise. This is what that guy wrote about Sam's company. Oh, no. Okay. Never in my career have I seen such a complete failure of corporate controls and such a complete absence of trustworthy financial information <gasps> as occurred here. From compromised systems integrity and faulty regulatory oversight abroad to the concentration of control in the hands of a very small group of inexperienced, unsophisticated, and potentially compromised individuals, this situation is unprecedented. Oh, Again, that's you. the guy who took that's... over Enron. <laughs> I was like, like, like that is literally like Bill Clinton. <laughs> dropping a notes post being like mm. never have i seen a more cheated on my wife in and like <laughs> that is so absurd well i will say it's wow. a, a different this guy did not commit any of the enron crimes right this is the but guy he who comes saw in. them all like no no no, that no, 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 no. Is, this guy yeah. is after he's brought in the it becomes right, clear that like e the no, no, th that this guy, guy starting a sentence with never in my career. Th this that guy, is like, yeah, it's probably best to look at this guy as like an EMT when it becomes clear that a company that has a shitload of money in it and is central in the economy has uh -huh. collapsed because people broke the law. He comes in to minimize the damage, but he was not yeah, working at Enron guy. previously, yeah. right? Like it's not, he's not trying to like stop anyone from getting in trouble. He's trying to minimize how many people are hurt by this. Yeah, anyway. no, of course. Yeah. Um, I just want to make clear, like, that guy's job. Anyway, whatever. Yeah, he's, so, not, he's not the Enroner. He is not the Enroner. He did not make yes. Enron bad. He's just no. <laughs> was there afterwards and was like, this company's even worse. He bought the um, issue of Playboy and then he yeah. kept it pushing. Yeah. So I should, God, there's, yeah, we're, we're, we're getting close to done. I should note that before everything collapsed, Sam, again, he's in the effect of altruism. He's, he's, he promised to donate like a couple of hundred million dollars to these EA causes. A lot mm -hmm. less than that actually wound at, got out. Some of mm -hmm. them were good, but a lot of it was like, so he made a huge point that he was like his, one of his major priorities was pandemic prevention, right? We have to right. stop the next pandemic. I'm going to put as much money as I can into pandemic prevention. That's the best effective altruist thing that I can do. Mm -hmm. um, I, to talk about how well that actually worked, I want to quote from the Washington Post here. Oh. FTX-backed projects ranged from a $12 million to champion a California ballot initiative to strengthen public health programs and detect emerging virus threats amid lackluster support, the measure was punted to 2024, to investing more than $11 million on the unsuccessful congressional primary campaign of an Oregon biosecurity expert, and even a $150,000 grant to help Moncleff Slough, the scientific advisor to the Trump administration's Operation Warp Speed Vaccine Accelerator, write Ooh. his memoir. So that sounds like a giant waste of money, right? That sounds yeah, like that sounds it, none like of it, a lot of money even if it was fire. like good, it sounds like it didn't, like even if the goals were good, like, well, the ballot measure failed, like it or it got punted. Right. So it's not like it worked. Um, and it gets worse because SBF's fund also put a lot of money, like $5 million into ProPublica and ProPublica, they've done a lot of cool stuff. They also oh, recently sure. published an extremely flawed investigation that backed the lab leak hypothesis. 
Um, mm-hmm. I'm gonna the L.A. Times and their analysis of this oh, deeply flawed, I mean, flawed piece of reporting. And also, uh, you yeah. know, we've got some notes for the L.A. Times as well. Yes, the, yeah, nobody's perfect. Proceed. The, the the L.A. Times called it a train wreck, noting the article is based heavily on Chinese language documents that appear to have been mistranslated and misinterpreted, according to oh, Chinese boy. language experts who have piled on via social media since its publication. It also mm-hmm. takes as gospel a report by a rump group of Republican congressional staff members asserting that the pandemic was more likely than not the result of a research-related incident. And this has been, the fact that ProPublica published this has like provided a shitload of fuel to the, it was all a fucking lab leak from China, it's China's fault. Um, I was Republican that. shit. That's yeah, Jesus. Sam Bankman-Fried funded that shit. Um, and oh my God. Yeah, basically none of the shit he was putting in money into that was supposed to be good really worked. And a lot of it was, yeah. so the another thing the right is doing right now is they're talking about, he was like the number one or number two donor to Democrats during the midterm elections. Right behind um, uh, Seth MacFarlane. Yeah. Yeah. But none yeah. of his donations worked. And also he gave, it was like 32 million he gave to the Dems. He gave like 24 million to the Republicans. And the reason he was giving this money, <laughs> number one, there were some like pro pandemic response candidates he wanted to back, most of whom didn't you know, do well. Uh, but mm-hmm. also like a lot of the money was towards Republican and Democratic candidates who were going to be part of the regulation of the crypto industry because he wanted to have a seat at the table and push regulations I in a see. way that. OK, so uh, yeah. any candidate that would enable that is. Uh, who's getting uh, money yeah, it, exactly. Um, so anyway, in general, nothing at Alameda or FTX was as it seemed. And that dick writing Sequoia article, Carolyn Ellison, the CEO of Alameda is, uh, he talks about her a bit and like, she frames her as like this quintessential innocent nerd girl, plucky and ethical and optimistic to show like, these are the kind of, you know, smart young Gen Z kids that are, you know, building uh, this, this great company. And like, she showed up in LARP gear to meet with Sam and talk about the future of their great financial enterprise. And she's an ethical altruist. Um, Since everything fell apart, it's come out that she and Sam were dating each other and possibly other members of the company. Um, And also people have found her. Now we have the full Liz Holmes loop has been completed. we go. People have found her Tumblr. Um, and no. boy, is she sketchy as hell. Um, I'm no. going to quote from a report on her Tumblr activity in decrypt.com. Boy, howdy. When I first <laughs> okay. started my first foray into Polly, I thought of it as a radical break from my trad past, the account wrote in February 2020. But TBH, I've come to decide that the only acceptable style of Polly is at best characterized as something like Imperial Chinese Harem. The account went on to detail how a polyamorous dynamic should ideally function as a cutthroat market of sexual competition and subjugation. None of this non-hierarchical bullshit, the account elaborated. Everyone should have a ranking of their partners. People should know where they fall in the ranking, and there should be vicious power struggles for the ranks. Oh my god. (laughs) It gets worse, Jamie. The Ellison-linked account also demonstrated a substantial preoccupation with HBD, or human biodiversity, an online euphemism for the discredited fields of race, science, and eugenics popularized yeah. Right. Oh, oh boy. Give me one more paragraph and then we can talk about this, Jamie. Ellison has for years vocalized her diehard obsession with Harry Potter. In one post, her affiliated Tumblr account tied her love of online character quizzes, quizzes to her penchant for sorting Indians by their cast, which she presumed to indicate genetic distinction. Oh my God. Holy shit. <laughs> Even JK Rowling wasn't thinking something that fucked up. And that's mm-hmm. really saying something there. Someone needs to Amazing. tell me. Amazing. Astonishing. 
Tumblr is exclusively for Sherlock fan fiction mm-hmm. and things that trigger my eating disorder. That's yeah. it. I cannot fuck like. Oh, that's so dark. It's I, I almost can't fathom it, right? Uh, and again, there's so much. We probably will do a follow up at some point because, like, the yeah. fact that sh- the fact that it was this easy for like some fucking crypto rag. They're not the only ones who reported on it to find her Tumblr where she talks about race science makes me think these guys were all probably into a lot more fucked up shit than they let on. Um, yeah. Oh so we'll see. God. We'll see. I just. Uh, it's, it's, I. We don't have the hour for me to <laughs> decompress the way I need to after hearing that sentence specifically. Yeah, I almost, I need a cigarette. <laughs> I'm going to start smoking today and yeah. I hope she's fucking happy. Oh my God. That is, He's, that is it's brutal. so funny. What a brutal place to land. <laughs> it's Thanks so for fucking funny. nothing, Robert. Jesus. Anyway, hopefully they're all, all of their money's gone, but they probably squirreled away millions and stuff for themselves. Although I, at least one of the articles I've read says that like his net worth is effectively zero now, but sure. I don't think anyone cool. actually knows what his net worth is right now. Like, and how much he got, like his company went from valued at $32 billion to most recently, there's something like $650,000 in actual assets left. Um, but I also kind of think he and the others probably have millions or tens of millions that they set aside, um, Uh in shady ways for themselves. Wow. Um, Oh yeah. I mean, well, that does sound, uh, like what the, the beanie babies guy would do. And that is my yardstick for morality. That is so, um, that that is very very scary to uh, to consider. I feel yeah. like guys like that. The thing that is is, I mean, I don't know. When, whenever you hear about like, it is so karmically satisfying to know that someone like SBF can can be completely bottomed out and like destroyed by something like this. But the thing is, like, when when rich guys mm-hmm. like that lose everything, they just come up with worse more hateful ideas and then come mm-hmm. back and that is like always what kind of scares me about that yeah it is so funny um i don't know jamie i don't know what the solution is it's not like i want him to have money again i just you know what how can you make someone say less again i i think the solution the podcaster's is, dilemma i, I think the solu- look here, here's here's where i'll land on this you know okay. i i don't think i don't think people should be thrown into cages generally unless there's literally no other way to stop them from harming folks. So, and I don't think that's the case with these people. So instead, I think the actual solution is to close from the outside, all of the doors to that, the, the fucking rich person apartment complex they occupy in that Bahamas development, lock Mm -hmm. it from the outside and mm-hmm. once a week, drop in food and necessities via a helicopter and never mm-hmm. let them leave or use the Internet again. Yeah. Have them all mm-hmm. just be with their friends in their in their weird little compound going increasingly insane with their Chinese harem shit. I don't and know. I guess that's another SBF... kind of prison. But if we film it, we can make money. Well, um, but then SBF might may have to face his worst fear, which is yeah. reading a book. Yeah, I, I I guess like like my serious answer is what do you do to people like this? Is you stop them from ever being able to have access to money again or start companies right. again, and mm-hmm. hopefully eventually they find something to do that actually helps human beings and is like it, it, uh, like of any kind of use. Like working at a grocery store, there's that's a real benefit. People need to get food. And people mm-hmm. need like that's a, a respectable, honest way to make a living. 
Um, and if any of these people were to get a job working at a Safeway, they would be providing an infinitely greater benefit to the human race than they could ever have performed. Perhaps at a FTX. bit more of that that ethical side of the yeah. ethical altruism you were looking yes. for. Yes. I'll be honest. I did not come to the recording today with a solution for the prison mm-hmm. industrial complex, but I, I, I will don't say have that it. I still don't like it. <laughs> um, I still don't love it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I have no solution. Um, but you know what I do have, Jamie? What? Your pluggables. Mm-hmm. No, you don't. I have those. Well, you have them, but I'm letting you have them. Oh my god! I mean, okay. I'm giving. Well, I mean, I could I'm, probably do them if nobody wants to take this job. I'll do. I can. I'll do them. Okay. Sophie, do you want to do them? Yeah, I mean, uh, you can pre-order Jamie's book, um, and that that is linked in her Instagram bio. Um, it's true. You can follow her on Instagram at Jamie Christ Superstar, and you can follow her on Twitter at Jamie Loftus Help if Twitter's still around. Uh, she has a podcast that she co-hosts with Caitlin Durante called The Bechdel Cast. You should listen to her many limited run series, including her most recent run, which is Ghost Church. And which Sophie produced along with The Bechdel Cast and everything, every podcast on the planet. This has now become a plug like. for me. Um, did I get everything, Jamie? Yeah, that's exactly what I would have said, except worse. Yeah, yes. so pre, pre, pre-order uh, uh, Raw Dog. Oh. Yeah. Thanks, Sophie. Yeah, pre-order Raw Dog. If you listened to the hot dog episode of uh, Bastards and didn't like it, you did like it. Now buy the book. <laughs> yeah, legally you did like it. And if you yeah. disagree with that statement, uh, we will send the CIA to kill your family. Yeah, and, and that, uh, and let's make sure to attribute that quote to Robert Evans specifically. <laughs> there we go. And speaking of Robert uh, Evans specifically, Robert Evans specifically, Margaret Killjoy specifically, and myself will mm. be doing a Behind the Bastards virtual live stream show on December 8th. You can get tickets at uh, moment.co slash BTB. Love yeah. Um, also, uh, I have a Substack now because Twitter's not doing great. So. That makes me so me sad. <laughs> Why? I I like writing things. I got to write a thing last night. That's Sophie, so don't beautiful, you want me to Robert. write more things? I subscribe. It's better for I me subscribed. than being on Twitter all the goddamn time. Yeah, you can find it at shatterzone.substack.com. Uh, go there, and I will be writing. I'll try to write something every week. Maybe I won't. Maybe all of this will will be fall apart, be lost in time like tears in the rain. Or maybe like you'll get every- a new thing from me every week. There's no way to know. Every time, half the time when I get something from someone's Substack, because I subscribe to quite a few, but every time I get a message from someone's Substack, it's always like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, I didn't notice. Just give me the content and I'll see what it's about. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. It, look, we all, we, I, I don't know. I've been meaning to write more stuff uh, as opposed to just tweeting shit posts. So maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't. There's no way to know. Perfect. Behind the Bastards is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? 
How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go, right? There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. On NPR's new podcast, Wild Card, we have ripped up the typical script. It's part existential deep dive and part game show. I ask actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to ask some of life's biggest questions. Listen to NPR's Wild Card on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What up? I am Dramos, host of the Life as a Gringo podcast. This is a show for the Nosabo kids, the the 200 percenters. Here we celebrate your otherness and embrace living in the gray area. Every Tuesday, I'll be bringing you conversations around personal growth issues affecting the Latin community, and much more. Then, every Thursday, I'll be tackling trending stories and current events from our community. Listen to Life as a Gringo on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.